Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of What Pod Reads. I'm Roxanne here to bring you your daily dose of amazing books to get you through the week. And this week's book we are going to be reviewing is called A Block of Broken Houses. It's by the author Oh That Chris Smith and it is marked mature and complete. And I just I'm just going to read the summary right off the bat. Within this short story collection, you will read of the regret of a distracted parent, a mother and child desperately fleeing danger, a treasure hunt turned greedy, a madman's twisted hobby, and many more. Delve into a world you will be grateful to witness from a distance. And that is the general summary of it. It's not like a quote-unquote regular book. This is a book of many stories, and I personally thought, wow, I've never read a book like this one and I personally enjoyed it so let me go ahead and read some of the tags here uh action broken collection eerie fiction horror madness nightmare scary short uh, spooky and all of that stuff it's a collection of stories within one book and they range from or range from different uh genres but the most or the select genre I guessed was uh sci well not sci-fi but horror suspense scary kind of thing so without further ado let's get into the first chapter chapter one pieces summer delicious in its warmth I hear the pinging, ringing echo of my hammer, gripped in one hand and still hot from the pounding. I smell the dampness of our double garage, amazingly faint on that day, but soon to be forever heightened. I smell the oily stink of grease, some past spill or leak long forgotten. I smell freshly cut wood, a sweet, warm scent that once triggered thoughts of summer sunshine and sweat and chilled beer but sense provokes only an empty, meaningless sorrow. I see the flecks of sawdust twisted in the soft breeze, dancing around me until they settle on my hair, my clothes, inside of my nose. My back is sore, and my knees, my neck too. I've yet to purchase a table for my chop saw, and I've been kneeling and bending and measuring and cutting off and on for nearly two hours now. I stand to stretch. I glance out into the sunshine to check on my daughter. She is riding her bike in wide, lazy circles on her driveway, not five seconds ago. She's not anymore, though. Not that I can see, anyway. I was only keeping a back-of-my-mind ear on her. The training wheels rattling on the stone little driveway had been assisting me. But with the sporadic screams of the chop saw, I must have lost the sound of her movement. I call her name, and she doesn't answer. She was right there, and now she's gone. Until this point, my life has been solid and steady, all pillars surrounding it set firmly in place and showing no signs of erosion. My life has been wonderful in every sense of the word's meaning, but now one pillar is gone, missing. Something with teeth clamps around my heart and sinks in deeper with each passing second, and suddenly I'm cold. I call her name again, this time moving, slowly at first, and then in panic steps, or so it seems, 
because I have no real sense of moving any quicker than before. The three cars parked in our driveway are blocking my view to the road, and I wonder briefly why we have so many. Two would do, and we can manage with one. Perhaps if we had managed, perhaps if I hadn't bought that wreck of a beauty to fix up, she'd still be with us. Perhaps. I glance from side to side, from one neighbor's front yard to the other, but this is a formality, only to check those mental boxes fluttering in my head like angry mosquitoes, because already I'm moving toward the road. In my near lifeless heart, I know that's where she's gone. I call her name again, and as my vision, my vision crests the rusted top of that beaten up piece of crap, Thunderbird, I can see the crown of the helmet we, brought her, we bought her last summer, the bright sunlight tickling the purple and pink and yellow flecks surrounding the butterfly and ladybug print she had instantly fell in love with. As I get closer, inching in sickly slow steps because I can't seem to move any faster than that, I see that she's studying something on the ground, something I can't make out. Small pebbles or a bug, maybe. Closer still, and I see that she's on the road, not by much, maybe by a foot or so, but she's on it. And that's enough to make my stomach sink and fill with something that feels like cold metal. I call her name again, for the fourth and last time. Only as loud as I think I holler, I can't seem to hear my voice. Instead of her beautiful name, I hear an overwhelming rumble, a screaming engine leading a tattered muffler. I hear partially deflated tires kissing screeches from the road. I'm running now. Only that's an illusion. I'm climbing through molasses. This is when she looks at me. This is when she smiles. This is when her eyes are the brightest. This is when the colors and sounds and smells of this nightmare escalate and become too real, like I'm trapped in a small room. My sensory perception sharpened to a maddening degree and all of it her radiant eyes, her glaring helmet, the sharp coughing of the approaching car's muffler, the thick thump of my heart, the ill stink of hot wood buried in my nose, the stench of burnt tires is ricocheting around me in tight circles, heaving me close to an edge I pray will simply give away and take me to her. After all that running, I noticed that somehow I'm much farther from her than when I'd started. And at this realization that I've been reduced to an observer, that I'm too far from her to ever be able to help, I see in my peripheral that the car's yawning grill, vertical bars of chrome that look like bladed teeth, screaming closer to my daughter, 12 inches, eight, three, none. This is when my heart stops beating. For how long, I'm unsure. And when it starts up again, it would only be a sad and deflated imitation of itself. That helmet was meant to protect her from falls of three, four, maybe five feet. No more than that, I'm sure. It certainly wasn't meant to protect her from this. This is when the beast of metal cutting quickly through the sunlight knocks my baby down, takes her away from me, and leaves me questioning everything I've ever done and so much more waiting for me two, four, ten years from now. The helmet breaks open, a thick, a thick crack, could be thunder, but sadly isn't. Her eyes and smile still brilliant, beaming, her mind distant from the terror upon her, unknowing. And this is when I wake up, 
always on impact, never before. My eyelids don't flutter or ease open, but soar with a shotgun blast quickness that flings me from one horror-filled world to another, drowning in reoccurring waves of agony. My, vis my vision is blurry, but soon settles and then clears, and I know how irritated my eyes must look, how exhausting. I'm sweating. The nightshirt and boxer shorts I wear are pasted to my skin, wet and itchy, and I can smell the stale stink stuck to me. The bed sheets are cold and damp. I feel like I'm lying in ice water. I've either tossed the covers to my wife's side of the bed or she's stolen them from me because the night air has touched me deep and I'm shivering. It's always now, lying semi-awake in a world that feels neither real nor dreamlike, my nightly revisit of that endless day still too clear, never fading, when I'm forced to recall the most painful part of it all, my little girl's beautifully infinite eyes against the backdrop of her cracked and blood-splattered helmet. It seems as if those brief moments run through my mind in long, drawn-out hours, and wanting to revisit them has nothing to do with it. I can't seem to help it. A small part of me feels it's therapeutic. Only a much larger, more rational part knows that it's self-punishment. I prop myself up on my elbows and look at my wife. She still sleeps, soundly. I glance at the digital clock sitting alone on her night table. It displays an hour that makes little sense against the dark surrounding us, eight o'clock. I can't remember the last time we've been asleep at either of the eights. There is a tug at my shirt sleeve, and before I have time to turn, I hear the plop of it snapping against my arm. My daughter is standing there. The outline of her fades as I focus on it, bending into the darkness, but I know it's my baby. I can feel her. I should know how the rest of this half dream plays out by now, but it's amazing how each time she appears by our bedside, I once again convince myself that she's real. She needs to go to the washroom, she says, and she would like me to take her, to keep her company. Sure I will, I tell her, anything for her and any time. I swing my legs over the side of our bed. The floor is cold. I grab for my glasses and they're as cold as the floor. And once they're on, the on, and once they're on the only blur remaining is the constant fatigue circling through my body, a droopy, frayed fog that's endless. Her arms are raised, her tattered blanket dangling from one fragile fist, already waiting for me to pick her up. I do. I stand and lift her to me. She wraps her legs around my stomach, her arms around my neck. She sets her head on my chest. Her scattered curly hair is warm on my chin, my neck, and my face. She settles into the crook of my elbow as I slip my arm under her. Her blanket is bunched at the base of my neck, and I can feel her tiny, sleepy fingers working its silk tag for comfort. I raise a hand to her head, and I stroke her hair. I feel no sign of the injury that took her. She smells like warmth, like angels, like love. We walk together, and my heart aches for it to go on and on. I'm crying now, silent sobs that distort my whimpering telling her that I love her and I always will. And then an endless white surrounds me and I surrender to it. I'm in a vacuum. I'm bordered by a deep, endless nothing 
and then blackness so thick and evil I see its teeth quickly devours me and I scream. When I wake, I'm wet and cold, kneeling in front of the toilet and clutching her blanket, my shaking fingers rubbing its worn silk tag. I'm mumbling her name, repeating it, and I'm crying. The last eight months have been this way, and I feel the next eight will be just as bad, and that's only if I make it that long. Insomnia clings to me like a cold I can shake, deadens all feeling, although somehow this memory snaps those same feelings awake, full and bright and ravenous. I'm a terrible father. I've told my therapist this, and she has told me that I'm not, that I'm being too hard on myself. I appreciate and commend her effort. I'm paying her, after all. But I can't believe it. Won't. If I did, I'd be forgiving myself for my girl's death, and I'll never do that. The bathroom's floor is cold. I've stopped crying. It still hurts. It always will. But I have nothing left inside. I slink back into our bedroom and slip my daughter's blanket under my clammy pillow. I find it hard to let it go, even for just a minute but I need to change into some clean night clothes. After that's done, I pull gently on the covers of my wife has hoarded and arrange them so they will make the, so they will blanket the wet bed sheets. I fetch the thick quilt in the bottom drawer of the armoire in the corner and slip it over me as I join my wife. The clock on her night table declares a more rational hour now. My eyes are swollen, burning, and irritated and tired but I know there will be no true sleep for me. Not this night and probably not ever again. I concentrate on my wife's breathing, deep and long and rhythmic, praying it would eventually coax me to her. I bless her ability to, ability to sleep and then curse her in the same breath. Eventually, unknowingly, I slither into heavy pre-sleep warmth. My eyelids slip shut. The heavy silence of the night begins to claim me. I ease down into the darkness. My mind begins to close, and in this in-between world that isn't quite sleep, but narrowly, there's absolutely nothing. And then something, someone, tugs at my shirt sleeve. And that was chapter one. Um, but before we get into the review portion of it, I just want to send a big shout out to Christopher. Thank you so much for being patient and understanding. Um, and thank all of you so much for being supportive and just patient and understanding because the list um, of re- books that I'm to review, the people that want me to review their books is growing. Thankfully so much. I am not complaining about that one bit, but I'm just letting you guys know that it can take just a little bit long, not like too long, but not crazy, but just a, just a little bit. But thank you guys anyway for being so understanding and supportive of this podcast. So right away, I love how the summary is written. It lets the reader know what they're in for. And like I said in the beginning, I've never read a book like this that was like a different story every chapter. But not every single chapter. He did say he would or like... For instance, that story was pieces. And if the if he wanted a couple more chapters to that one story, it would be like that. But for the most part, every chapter was a different story. And every single story that I've read so far was amazing. And it was captivating. And it just got my attention from the jump. 
I love how he um, started off the first chapter. Imagery is so amazing and it is so important. And if you could paint that for your reader right away, then you are already in the right field. So kudos to you and for all your hard work. You and every single author out there that do their best to make what they do enjoyable to the readers. You guys are amazing. Um, the imagery that began chapter one was beautiful. Like I said, it's so powerful and timely used. I feel like some people think that they just need to put put in big words um, just to sound smart or whatever. But when you read it, it all sounds like nonsense. But in this case, in this book, it that it was definitely not the case. You didn't even use big philosophical words. It was just so beautifully put. I felt the the dad's feelings of losing his child. And right away, I didn't... Um, even though I, I kind of knew by his foreshadowing in the um, chapter one, I kind of knew that something would happen to his daughter... I loved how he led it up to that point. You know, I love how you read about it and not just, oh, his daughter died. I loved how it showed him working on that old car that they bought. They had three cars, even though they could have managed with two and even one. I love how it, it showed him working on it. And then, you know, the kid riding a bike in the back, like on the driveway in the back while he's working, because that's real. You know, the author made it real and relatable. Um, to the readers out there and also when the daughter went out to the road he said he looked you know left and right he looked in the neighbor's yard even though he knew he just knew that his daughter was not in their yard in the neighbor's yards she was at the road but and that was just so human of him to do that because and I personally feel that sometimes I know when something um happened I know exactly what when and where but I'm still looking for like I guess an out just saying oh no it can't be maybe it's over here maybe it's over there and I love how he was like putting it off for as long as he could before knowing before going to the road because he knew exactly that that's where his daughter was so I just thought that was a very human quote-unquote human thing to put in the story and I really really loved the imagery being used here to portray that. Um, And this is the deepest chapter I've read in a long time. I am not even kidding. I read lots of books um, in a day, even in a month. And not just to review, but to enjoy. I'm mainly on Wattpad. I like read Wattpad books 95% of the time. But here and there, I would go to Amazon if I see, you know, to just broaden my horizons or whatever but I do spend the majority of my time reading books whenever I can and this is the deepest um chapter I've read first chapter starting off a book the deepest that I've read in quite a long time and it pulled me in and that's just the wow there was a wow factor for me so good job Christopher that was amazing for me I was shocked (laughs) I was so shocked but it was so good I was hooked from line one. So if you guys want a book where you're hooked from line one, go ahead and check this one out. Um, 
All the stories are beautifully written. Like I said, it's a book containing several stories and each and every single one of them is beautiful. Like the second story after Pieces is Caged. Um, And I don't really want to spoil it for you, but it's about these people who are living in this village and then just another group of people came to to take them away, caged them. Um, And then the ending, I just love the ending. I can't spoil it for you guys. I cannot, but I loved how the author used his imagery to make death sound like a peaceful escape for that person in the second story. I will not spoil it. I won't say anything further on it. You guys would have to go out and read it. You will not be disappointed for sure, honestly. Um, And I can see a sort of theme among the stories, one of pain and hurt. I haven't gotten to finish the entire book. I am getting there. I definitely will finish it because it's just that good. Plainly put, it's just that good that you would want to finish it. Um, But the stories that I've read so far, um, the theme of it is pain and hurt. But also, there's beauty in that. And I love how the author portrayed that. And I I just can't. I am amazed by this book. I don't know why it took me this long to get to it. But I wish I have gotten to it soon because it is worth it. It is worth the read. Oh my goodness. Um, Each chapter is a story in itself and has gathered my attention always. And I love that it's not a regular book, so to speak. Um, I just love that it's different. Each uh, each chapter is a different, an entirely different story, different people, different setting. No, like it's not similar. It is not. None of the chapters are similar. None of the stories are similar in this book. So if you want to read several stories in one sitting, then go ahead and check out his book, A Block of Broken Houses. You would not regret it. The only thing, though, is sometimes people put and a lot of places, and I feel like there were, you know, some ands where there could have been full stops or just simple commas. Um, And that's just like a a common mistake that authors do sometimes. Not a big deal, but, you know, it still could be tweaked a little bit. Didn't bother me none. Um, I really still did enjoy the story. So if you guys are looking for a good book, I would say check this out. I would give this a 10 out of 10. Honestly, it was that amazing of a story. 